0: Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta.
1: Hey, it's Phil, before you're gonna check out my Rants About Humanity episode, I also want to invite you to consider following me and subscribing on my podcast channels and my Rumble video player channel down below. You can find it in the description. With increasing censorship and limitations of freedom of YouTube, I don't know how long I will be able to have my thought-provoking conversations on YouTube. So if you want to support me in my mission of freedom of speech, open debate, be sure to also check me out and follow me on those platforms and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Rants About Humanity podcast, everyone. Today, I have Maren Pools as a guest. Marin is a multiple award-winning Dutch independent documentary maker. He's 100% fan-funded and working without government subsidies. So I think he can speak freely. In 2017, Pools produced the documentary The Uncertainty Has Settled, a controversial story where he's questioning climate change and the current energy policies. The film is part of a trilogy. In the second part, Paradogma, he investigated the toxic state of the current public debate and made themes such as Polarization, conformism, and intolerance visible. In the third part, Return to Eden, he returns to climate change and agriculture. And this film asks the question, to what extent we humans are part of nature and where the boundaries lie in the urge to regulate climate change, nature, and our food supply. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast. I'm curious, you live on a farm in Germany. What made you
2: go back to your little garden? Well, I think the city, it was the city. I lived for eight years in Berlin. Things were changing very rapidly. And I got a son, I received a son for eight years back. And then um, we started to question ourselves where do we want to raise our kid? And I'm from the uh, an agricultural part from, from the Netherlands. So I like climbing trees and you know, going on an adventure, and that was impossible in Berlin. We had a balcony from one, two meters, and that was it. So and I I'm a person which is receiving gut feelings a lot. Mm. So my decisions are not very well laid out on beforehand. But you know, two years later, I can say, "Wow, what a luck that we did it!" <laughs> so, and we did it for two years back, and then the whole COVID situation came. And damn, I'm I'm so lucky that nowadays living on a farm. And to be honest, I studied agriculture when I was young, and I left that part and start filming. And now I feel that the agricultural part in me is coming back again. Also, you know, due to filming, because I filmed a lot about agriculture. And so I'm, I'm keeping a garden, uh, a piece of forest, which I'm managing, but we grow our, our own crops. And you start to appreciate life, you know, how how it should, I, I guess. I mean, we are nature and you can feel it everywhere. And nature is very simple, but complex at the same time. And you need to collaborate very well with it. You know, there is no chance of putting politics in nature because then nature will die. You will not have something to eat. So that's, for me, it's a very simple life. Uh, we're living on a very, yeah, you know, we're living a very simple life, actually, yeah. And I'm very close as well because we're living in a community with a with a couple of civilians, not much, 33, I guess, in, in my village. So that's very tiny, but it's like you know the Hobbit in his in his Garden of Eden. But besides that, you know, I'm a filmmaker and I'm staying filmmaker. So you you need to look into the world. You know, you need to be part of that world where you're talking about. So I'm I'm traveling a lot and I'm making films, uh, doing interviews. So now and then, uh, quite often, actually, even though I don't have a film to make, I, I still do interviews, which I'm not recording, but I'm just, you know, curious. So, so you need to be part of the big world. Yeah. I think
1: also a lot of people had that instinctive first reaction with COVID, like, oh, it's actually nice, like a break from the speed of life. And I can actually pause. I think more and more people are, including me, thinking of, yeah, being closer to nature of the hecticness of the control of the technology of the speed of life. How did you got in tune with your gut feeling to feel like I need a break, I need a pause instead of being swallowed by the speed of life in the cities, which can sometimes be consuming that you never really reflect and stand still about what do I want, where I want to live and other important questions.
2: That is a good question, but I think the, the answer lies in uh, 10, 15, maybe, maybe even 20 years back. I got some cognitive problems and I went to a cognitive therapist. I think I, he learned that I should ask every day the same questions. Are you doing the right thing and why? And these are two simple questions. And if you can answer them every day, you know, you will you will be awake on time. But it is easier said, said and done because thinking is quite, quite a rough thing. You know, it's not... A lot of people are saying quite easily, yeah I thought about it, this is my opinion. Well, think again because mm. thinking hurts. It's it's destroying your own paradigm, it's destroying your own mind, it's destroying your own world every day. And you know, not many people are doing this often. So I think, you know, the time I sort of broke out of the system which was I was ten years documentary makers mainly focusing on human rights, international development. So I filmed a lot in, in third world country, poverty, uh, all these kind of you know the SDG um, goals, social justice. Yeah, right, right. And I'm from the left, progressive, uh, still am, I guess. And but then I started to. I had a very good job. I had I made wonderful films. I traveled the world many times. So. I had everything, but somewhere a gut feeling says to me, Marain, you're not 100% free, so you, you saved a bit of money, so you have a budget. Why not making your own film? My ego, Alter, told me. And mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, why not? I mean, and I did. And I asked uh, a friend of mine who did some camera work. He said, okay, when you quit your job tomorrow, I will pay you one year. We will make a film together, and he said, "Really?" I said, "I'm, I'm serious." And so we did, and uh, we left off. And was know, was the... that
1: was that I'm almost curious? Like when it happened, was that after you decided to quit and you put that intention out there, and then he came to you, or did you do it when you would, you know that he would like pay it for a year?
2: No, no, I didn't. No. Uh, so it I...
1: happened when you created yeah. like a pause, and then you made. That I made decision. a pause,
2: and I said, "Okay, I'm quitting, and I'm not sure whether I'm going to be a filmmaker again." But I will think about it, and then you know I I knew I mean films make I'm 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 not a journalist I'm not a documentary maker but I'm a storyteller and film making films is the best possible way for me to do it. So and I'm a storyteller so I need to tell I need to continue to tell stories. So so the question is what kind of a story do I need to tell? And 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 then in sudden I was here on this farm I didn't live here by then was 2015 or 16, late 2015, yeah. And then I saw all these windmills arising, and I saw all the farmers, you know, sort of pushed away, so losing domestic uh, crops. And I didn't have an opinion. I, I came from the left progressive, so I thought climate change, yeah, that's a thing, you know. We should, we should save the world or save whatever we want to save and can save. So, I, I, But I never asked questions. I never thought about it. And by in that moment, you, you really start to think about it from, okay, are we doing the right thing to, you know, push the potatoes away and instead we grow energy crops to full tractors to make crops for eating? And does it make sense? You know, even a child of four can say that that's, that's idiot. So I started to raise these questions. So it's starting from the agricultural point. And, you know, then you need to start to ask the questions. What is climate change? What does it mean? You know, and uh, there is climate change, but, you know, it has a lot of nuances and, and, and to understand the problem, you know, in my opinion, you never can reach a solution where you don't understand the problem. And what I saw missing was the, okay, there are windmills, they're saving the climate, but what are they exactly saving? What is the danger? This these... is
1: maybe the link with the same thing that you did. You have these two two questions you ask yourself each day, right? Right. Like, why, right? Or why am I doing this? Or what's the purpose of this? This is like almost the same question, but on a higher level. Like, why are we doing this? And is there maybe a better solution? And what's the intention?
2: That's it. And that's I, I think that's journalism. The only two questions, you know? <laughs> Just why? I don't understand. Explain. Convain. I have the
1: same thing. I will, I'm insatiably curious it's the first sign of intelligence, I think, or that's imagination, it. that's it. I had the same thing in uh, journalism when I was studying in Antwerp and our, it's not ext- exactly extreme right. You're just like anti-immigration. You have like the Vlaams Belong that was like formerly the Vlaams bloc. And I was left, I was extreme left. I was doing hip hop, you know, I was, I was, I was right. helping minorities and stuff, fight the power, public enemy, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, right? But even despite then, right, I was extreme left. That party was having a process to change their name. And I wanted to interview them, and even back then it was like, no, it's a taboo, and I didn't understand, like because I wanted to have all parties speak, and I might not agree, but I want to hear them speak, and there was a dogma on letting them speak. The same thing I noticed in sociology: there are certain topics that they start the investigation based on a conclusion, and they gather evidence to support their conclusion. But that is not what you do as a journalist. You go in with a question and then you're in openness, discover if it's true and find different angles. But mm-hmm. I found this in both journalism and in education, that it was much more ideological or prescribed what you could focus on and what conclusions were okay than me just being a curious mm-hmm. boy and just trying to understand the world and see different perspectives.
2: In my opinion, that's that's exactly what left progressive means, that you, you're you curious, you start You know, there is an open debate. We want to hear both sides, but somehow that changed, right? And and I've you know thought about a a long a long period of time about it because I was attacked as well after releasing Mm -hmm. first film about climate change, where I raised that questions: Are we doing the right thing? And everybody thought I was a climate denier, racist, extreme right, or whatever. So I was a a bit shocked actually that you know Mm -hmm. why why is this. All it was a tsunami of hate came upon me and there were threat calls there were you know cinemas where they refused to let me in you know oh. they were they were demonstrating with with the, the, the Jewish stars and they they damaged cars of visitors from you know from people who, who just watched the film I and mean, it was ridiculous really and especially in, in the south of Germany there was a was an extreme movement there. And, How is uh, this
1: possible? It's not your Lenny Riefen style. Style, <laughs>
2: no, you know, and and uh, as as I said, I'm open for everything. I mean, let's let's have a debate. But w- I think it was late 2016 when the film came out. It was already starting, and there was a lot of boiling underneath the surface of you know unhappiness, or everything was moralized, politicized. So when you touch a certain thing you know, you touch a, I don't know what, but you touch the wrong button by certain groups.
1: But you know and how you go from, I mean, you can be, you know, if you would say like, you know, kill all black people, I was like, okay, you're extreme, right, etc., very extreme. But how do you start linking? Like, I have questions about climate change. How do you link it to becoming extreme, right, or a fascist? I don't see yeah. the link. It's not that Hitler was speaking out against climate change. <laughs>
2: Me neither, but you know, there's it's a way of demonizing a certain persons which you want you don't want to be part of society because they 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 can be dangerous in your perspective. And there's that, the problem I have with the left these days is that you know we were open, you know. There was a time we were completely open. We could mm-hmm. discuss everything, we could discuss migration, the Islam, every every kind of religion. We could we, we could discuss as the left. And what you see when you when you are system thinking, then you it's quite logic that this is happening because when you have an open democracy the enlightenment period eh, put a, put as much as possible perspectives you know in that society and try to figure out what the direction is where we want to go as a democracy which is a great thing but once the democracy and that open democracy have decided a direction then there is a direction and that direction should be guarded You know, so every other perspective than that direction is being demonized because that's a potential threat for what they think still an open democracy, but they left the open democracy left uh, a long time ago. So this is the problem. So all the, all the nice ideologies like communism is starting from a very good point of view.
1: Yeah, it sounds it nice. Little, it looks nice. Yeah, you know? It's all
2: starting very, very good, very positive. But once an ide- ideology found this direction, then it's the threat that is becoming a totalitarian regime. But this is the same thing what you it.
1: talked about before. They don't think deep enough. Because when you think deep enough about the fundamental premises of your thinking and your narrative, your whole foundation and essence can be shaken. So for you to be left progressive, I also was left progressive. To question fundamental premises of my way of viewing the world ideologically, that shook my world. That was, you know, very much uncertainty. But I was willing to value truth and see in different perspectives than staying on that superficial level that kept, you know, my thinking system safe, but didn't allow me to think deeper and more hopefully.
2: Right. It's exactly the same. And then when you're, when you're thinking differently, you're a threat to that direction and you should be demonized because you're not part of that society anymore, which they still think it's an open democracy of an, an open society, but it's not there anymore. So that was the reason people did everything they can to shut me down. And even, even so extreme that there was a time during the cinema tour which I did every, every film. I made a tour through, through all Europe. It, it, it was, it became physical as well that the audience were, you know, coming at me after I did the Q and A's, you know, they were, you know, it became physical. Some, some nights, the police, we called the police that the police should guide me to the car or to the station or whatever. And, you know, then you're thinking, ah, you know, I have a son and a wife and, (laughs) <laughs> man this is this is becoming very complex and, and the question is uh, am i doing the right thing you know so i started to doubt on myself again what am i doing wrong maybe i am wrong you know i'm talking to to nazis in my film which i didn't see so i stayed at home for 3 weeks so i canceled the tour for 3 weeks by that time i said i said to myself i'm i'm canceling everything you know i don't i don't want this but then I heard, after three weeks, I heard, a, I wrote a, a line. I can't remember from whom, but it says, when your voice held no power, they wouldn't try to silence you. I thought, man, this is exactly what's, what's going on. Because I thought three weeks ab- about it from, am I wrong or, or not? And I couldn't find it. I just asked questions. So I went uh, on the road again and put on a different level, on a different level. yeah And I said, this is, I think this is my
1: well, Ban- banner think, or mission you want to fight? Yeah, for? this is
2: my mission to keep on doing what we should do, and that's keep keep that free thought alive, keep that open debate alive. And yes, there are risks attached to it, but there should never be a reason to ignore humans, right? To okay, I, I think
1: Alexander Solzhenitsyn said like tyranny cannot prevail as long as one man is still willing to speak his truth or her truth. I think it's something like that, and I think right. people don't realize how brave you have to be just to go against that cognitive even even in the whole covid and whatever thing is going on right now how brave it is to not give in to social peer pressure or cognitive dissonance because in the end like you think like am i insane am yeah. i not having common sense if there's something wrong with me and i know it's not the case but you have so much counter pressure to still stand up for that and stand up for your principle and say like i want to look myself in the mirror is my intention good is this something I value? Do I want to betray myself? No, but it takes a lot of courage to keep on having that stance.
2: It's difficult because it's not my job. My job is being a filmmaker. and I, yeah. I just want to make good films and nice films. I want to give a bit of entertainment, a bit of humor, a bit, you know, a tear and a laugh. That's what. I, that's where I'm good at. But now it's on a extreme different level because you need to be so aware of that political underbelly, which is there. And exactly, uh, to be honest, it's. As a filmmaker, it's it's a very welcome thing because there are a lot of emotions attached to that kind of thinking and narrative. And you try to, you know, well, peak the other side, peak yourself sometimes, and you, you can be on the edge. But yeah, it's, it's you need a bit of, you know, it was the same when I, 10 years ago, when I did the uh, development countries, I, I went to a lot of conflict and, and war zones. And then you ask yourself the questions, you know okay, I'm standing for human rights for international development and I should cover these stories. And not only on the palm trees or at beaches, but when there is a conflict and there is a story to tell, Yeah, that's a goddamn reason to be there as a journalist. And then to say, yeah, but you know, it's risky. Well, that's not a reason because you're fighting human rights, right? So, Things can be dangerous of complex, but that should never be a reason to ignore human rights. And and that that same principle I have with this this thing, I'm doing, yes, there are risks attached, but. You and know, I, I, think, and I risk- think
1: you're also a principled guy like me. Like for instance, I'm also about mutual responsibility and I want to show both sides, but I want to show the sides that not being given enough attention. Mm. If, if, if everybody would deny climate change and there would be some climate change, I would do the opposite. If I go to Palestine, uh, I would talk about Palestinian suffering. If, if, if Jewish people are suffering also, so it's not I choose one or the other, but mm. if there's one thing or if, or if feminists talk about certain things with men, I also want to talk about the issues that men face. I, it's, it's not that when I focus on the issues that men face, they, they're like, oh, so you say there's no issues for women at all. So there's no problems of racism. No, I'm just showing a side that's not being given enough attention, but that doesn't mean I'm denying the other side. I'm just opening up the debate with multiple perspectives.
2: That's what we should do. And man, I did I did a lot of films in slums, you know, and you know, it's not 90% of the world which is living in slums. I mean, this is quite minor population, but it doesn't mean that i want to live in a slum <laughs> i'm just giving her a voice because i think she's not heard and i think she's she's very smart even though she's living in a slum, maybe we can learn from it. Because I have a
1: good analogy, but if, if I investigate cancer, it's not that I want cancer. I don't want to create <laughs> cancer. I want to understand cancer so we can treat it better.
2: You're a cancer denier, right?
1: <laughs> I'm a cancer denier. Or, or You're a cancer s- stimulator, you know. You investigate it because you want more of it. No, I just yeah. want to understand it.
2: And that's what we're losing, right? In a in traditional journalism it's becoming politic again. And that's quite logic because when you see who's funding the journalists these days or the media platforms, you know, it, it is all politicized. It's it's all attached to economy. So journalism... I'll call them is, prostitutes. Yeah, prostitutes. It's a good one. Yeah. I will because remember.
1: I, are, are they are they just hiring these young innocent people who don't know what they're doing as fact checkers and journalists that they can just sacrifice their journalistic integrity and they can just write this very biased, no matter what you think about COVID climate change, uh, about radical feminism, Mm -hmm. you see that it's only one side of the spectrum that's being written about. Like, I really wonder as someone who still values journalistic integrity, how can you go to your job every day? Are you so brainwashed that you don't see that it's a one-sided narrative or how can you go to work every day, just, making sure you have that prescribed narrative plus also what i didn't like in journalism it sucks all the creativity away when i was journalist like write this in this so many characters with this and this headline is like yeah you might as well give this to a machine like how much creativity is there still left for me to do this profession in
2: that's what being left when you don't stand up against these this this madness and that's that's absolutely true because it's it's you know, people can behave as monsters. They're not monsters, but, but they can behave as monsters without knowing that they are a monster, right? And and you see it in institutions as well, And which is a normal, it's not a, a, a bad thing because when you want to do a good management at your company or in your institution, you need to have a certain color or a line set out, you know, this is the behavior code, this is how we dress and blah, blah, blah. It's not a Dictatorship, but it's just a couple of rules, mm-hmm. and these couple of rules are being, you know, every every day they're becoming more and more and more because the management will manage you as efficient as possible, manage the company, you know, and that has not an end until the the, the normal human beings are st- saying, okay, this is enough, this is the border, stop controlling us, you know, and and so there needs. There the, the needs always to be a counter, counterweight, like, like, you know, in, in a circus, uh, the, the, walking on a court, when, but when I, the left I, is too hard, then you, you fall off.
1: Well, we, I, I grew up at the left, uh, you know, I wasn't born then, but, you know, like fight the power, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. One of the fundamental things of Western civilization and civilized society is that open debate and freedom of speech. But just as you said, how it's keep on moving, they're moving the goalposts and the lines. For me, it's like you can have open debate, say what you want, just try to be polite maybe and don't incite violence directly. But that move now to hate speech. It's like, okay, they look at your identity politics, you know, whether you're right or wrong, and it's already increased. Politicized, But the next thing that some people are already doing in the UK, it's not about hate speech anymore. It's about potentially harmful content. So you see how it's moving towards setting the rules of the game more ideologically, more rigidly, that in the end, you don't have the means anymore to solve conflicts peacefully because that is a tool, communication, bouncing off ideas. And when there's only certain ideas you can have, that's just an echo chamber, an ideological echo chamber.
2: Yeah. Yeah. and And... Media is a very good tool in achieving what you describe, of course, because they—they, they, you see it—you see it long before it's coming. Like COVID, you saw it in COVID as well. Three months before COVID came, you—you you can just read the articles and 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 know, okay, this is coming, you know. And now they're talking. In the earlier stage, you know, they—they they said, "Oh no, children are are holy," you know, we will not vaccinate children. Mm-hmm. Now. The, with the Delta variant, you know how it might be affected for children as well. You know, and they're not talking about vaccination, but it will come. This is the project what the media is doing, and you can you can read it so easily. So they become a tool of the power, and you know that power is not bad as well. You know, it has a reason that it is the power, which is today, I think. But I, I I I still believe that you know the the, the whole. The whole global elites, so to speak, they're not they're not up to doing wrong things. I think they are really thought about the the, the great reset, how mm-hmm. Klaus Schwab is uh, naming. I think they have a good plan and a good vision. But somewhere along the line, it's becoming corrupt because power is involved in it, and power raises a lot of psychopaths, and they can do very bad things, right? And when you, when you let a, when you lead a, a population in fear, like climate change, you know, we're all going to die. Then you have, it's, it's in a cognitive science. It's, it's called, you have, you have two, two ways of managing a population, right? That's hard power and soft power. Hard power is with the army, you know, with, with guns, weapons, fences, but, but that's very expensive, you know? And in the 1940s, a scientist did a very interesting research. What is the best cost efficient way to manage people? And that is soft powered. So that this is cognitive a cognitive war. So try to because when you this is the thing, when you when you give people you should you you don't want to live in a society where everybody's free, you know, because that's chaos. You know, everybody will do their own thing. They will. They will rape. Uh, they will, you know, loot or whatever they yeah. want. So they need to be rules. That that's very sure, and that's not a bad thing. But to achieve something as a manager, you want to have control. And at the moment, you want to have you. You are asking for control. You're asking, can you take away a little bit of your freedom? And people are saying no. Everyone everyone so they need to have tools to tackle that immune system of of the human in the the this the, the reptile brain i guess
1: yeah uh, they play with, with primal drives with needs with changing the culture from the inside that the culture right. themselves or the citizens themselves ask for something that you want but it's not with tanks it's not with guns it's not with direct right. physical violence but, but see, perceptually informationally culturally the society is molded that it becomes, or asks for what you wanted in the first
2: place. Right. So when you say it's a crisis, you know, in my opinion, a crisis is when the village is on fire, right? And you don't want to have a debate within two weeks. What are we going to do with that fire? You know, yeah. you just need the fireman who's, you know, fixing the problem. And you you don't want to have a debate, but it's quite quite clear. So to call things a crisis like climate crisis energy crisis, Corona crisis, you take away the democracy, the right to have another opinion and let's debate because the crisis management, which is, you know, the power, they take away that responsibility because democracy, we don't have time for democracy. So this is the danger when we just accept it and, and you know, crash ourselves into fear but but this is the thing, like, you know, for example, you know, I'm a, I'm a doctor and I say, Philip, yes, we saw a very bad thing and you will die in a year. I'm sorry. So good luck. And then a half year later, I come back and said, yes, we saw it again, becoming bigger and you will, you will be dead in a half a year. And then one week before you die, I will come as a doctor. And I said, Philip, I have a very good news. You will not die. But I need one leg. I need to amputate one leg. You think that uh that you got your freedom back? No, you lost a leg. And you don't know if that doctor was telling you really that you, you know.
1: Or maybe I didn't have like cancer, but because I was stressing so much about cancer, I got cancer. And then you see, see the
2: cancer was dead <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. yeah. But th- this is the, the idea of soft power. And, and it's a very, very, it's like, you know, a farmer is doing the same with his cows, right? When a farmer let his cows in chaos, you know, he will not receive his milk because he needs to search for his cows every day. You know, and, and you can... also
1: brainwash people about what their uh, reign of freedom is. It's about the story of that little elephant who was mm-hmm. being held on a pole, right? And then that elephant becomes so big and there's a small pole, like that's such a big elephant that could just rip it away and escape. But it's been programmed that, no, I'm not strong enough. I don't have power. I'm held back by this
2: little pole. Yeah. And people confuse the terms safety, security with freedom. And they're completely the opposite, you know? Being free means that you have adventure. And adventure has always risks. And as big of the risk, as big of the adventure. And as much more life you have in yourself. And you, when you say, I'm scared, I need to be protected. Then someone say, okay, I can protect you. No problem. Because everybody is asking for it. And that's, that's the thing. So it's not a conspiracy from the power. It's our question.
1: But you know what? I, I see the crazy thing here that it's a bit like, you know... I uh, don't feel safe. Can you protect me? And then a hostage taker says, Sure, I can protect you. Come in. <laughs> you what? can stay here. Here's some rope. I'll cut you up, you know, so you're safe, so you can't move for your safety. And you're super safe here against all those evil non-hostage taker people out there.
2: Yeah. Ask yourself how you become a prostitution, right? Prostitute from Ghana. I will I will give you another life, a better life. And they are so in fear of their own situation that they go with with people to Amsterdam, and they're landing in a red light district, you know. And so I think this is important that why we should think every day: uh, is this really what is really going on? And a lot of things are, you know, in in again in the in the, in the linguistic science, they, they use always metaphors, and metaphors like financial cliff, right? That that. People thought about that term financial cliff because a cliff, yeah, you can fall off it, and die, right? So that that's nobody wants to die and financial, you know, everybody is needs it. So the term financial cliff is working very good in soft power terms, but it doesn't say when it's just a half a percent, you know, a half a percent. So, and th- this is also with climate change, mid, mid corona. It might be there, but. Tell me more about it, you know, and don't, don't tell me I'm dying, but tell me why I'm dying. Well, maybe we'll,
1: we'll, we'll talk a little bit into climate change and look at the numbers and everything that's been like investigated. How I take a look at this so-called climate change crisis is everybody should read, I call it the best nonfiction book of the 20th century, 1984. There in the book, you have an eternal war, always war. And that's better than having a temporary war. Why? People get used to it. And Mm -hmm. this permanent war, climate change war, this can keep on going during the legacy, you know, the the reign of people in power, etc. And it's always this fear, you know, and they can't tackle it, etc. Combined with, and maybe we can also tackle this, the whole overpopulation with too many people. Like this very negative idea of like humans as parasites. Mm -hmm. I read that every person could have 100 square meters of the planet and you could put them in like two-thirds of Alaska or something. I did the research about it. I'm horrible at that, Matt. But if you put the entire population and you give them, I think, 100 square meters, you could fit them in two-thirds of the province of Alaska or the state of Alaska in America.
2: Yeah, we're not with too many. I think we are with too many people doing stupid things. (laughs) That's, But no, the world is... Is infinite in resources, and when we, I think it's all about management. You know, and and when we manage to live on that square meters, you described, it will be enough to sustain our lives. But yes, yeah. we
1: grew up with an inconvenient truth: Al Gore, this yeah. dying ice bear on this ice cap, ice cap that was melting. We only had like ten to fifteen years. First was called global warming, then it shift to climate change. Now tell us a bit about what's going on because we have these numbers, about 90, 70% of scientifically that there's something going on with the climate changing, not human, but you, right. you can explain it better. You have a documentary by Michael Moore. You have some people who are brave enough to go into this territory. Paint a little bit of the picture of what you uh, found out of delving
2: deeper into climate change. Yeah, but what you said, there's a consensus, right, in science. And the first question... Which, which was in my head was, but, you know, science science and consensus, that's like freedom and security. I mean, that doesn't fit because science is, is basically every, every time you're asking the question, how is it or how, you know, what is it where we're looking at? And the moment you find the truth, it's not science anymore. Because science is always about thinking. And when you know for sure, you know, this is a fact, the moment it's a fact, it's not science anymore. So this is the first confusion I have. And then the 97% or the, yeah, 97%, the burning question by all of us should be, okay, so 97% of the scientists say that climate change is changing and that man has some effect on it, And that's quite logic. I mean, when I'm spitting on the floor, the climate has changed, right? So when an ant is, is pooing, climate is changing. I mean, you should be very specific to explain me, okay, but how much? What's exactly, which step I don't need to, what, what is changing the climate? And then the science is very sloppy in saying, well, it's it's 50% or more could be 99% could be 51%. i mean this is very sloppy and again we're we're mandating a system change globally to change everything based upon a very sloppy scientific premise and if you don't understand that problem the solution is always failing so these were my my questions and al Gore couldn't tell me in his film and actually all the mainstream scientists couldn't tell me as well the only thing they told me is from what are you denying climate change i said no i'm not denying climate change i just have questions in, in in which extent people are contributing to that dangerous climate change and how they where's the data and and nobody could tell me so so I started digging and I came from the mainstream, eh? so the, 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 the open left. And so climate change was a thing. And, and when I started digging, I opened a basement on climate skeptic people, scientists, which gave me a lot of common sense. And that what the answers the mainstream scientists couldn't give me, the skeptics gave to me. And they were much more into the field of there is a lot of uncertainty, and we should have a, a bit of a more debate about it because, yeah, well, exactly what I, what I mentioned before. So, I invited myself to a couple of scientists who were skeptic, and for example, Freeman Dyson, which was for me a legend in in, in the physics, still is. He died, unfortunately, two years back, but the man worked in Princeton University with Albert Einstein in the in the 50s. So he's, he's not a moralist. So mm-hmm. he's, he's really, he knows what he's saying. And Piers Corbin was in my film, a, a couple of other, and they gave me such a logic explanation of uncertainty and the, the urge for people to, to have certainty, but it's not there. So then you're making up things because otherwise you will never move that whole population towards that direction. Because say-
1: I, I don't know where you stand at the moment. I will just throw some stuff at you because I've read that sunspots sun is like one of the biggest causes there, you know, mm-hmm. and that the human element is like, you know, 1%, 3%, etc. You will know it's much better than me that in the 15th or 16th century, I think we also had a very warm period. So climate change, yes, but is this normal or, or, or not? That the ice bear population is going up again, that the earth is going, turning greener again, etc. I mean, I'm not saying this is true, right? I'm also confused. About this whole topic, it's much more complicated than it seems. Do you have some counter things that are true right now, like in terms of species yeah. extinction, green well, ice bears? bears?
2: Yeah, the polar bears, for example, they're living. The last eighteen years, there were not as much polar bears as there are today. There are over thirty thousand population, which is very healthy population. And these are facts. There are people who are counting these bears, right? But still, it's being used as the poster boy for climate because he's you know the polar bear it's it's a good it's a good it's a good uh, image but there are the, the population of polar bears is very healthy the climate has always changed right and i think that humans can can do a lot better in terms of environment but i do have problems with the order because it's first environment and then climate it's not the other way around First nature. When you take care of nature, there's no problem. It's impossible. Yeah. It's but, impossible. I don't, but what I don't Look.
1: like about the debate is what, what I would find much more positive is like just be anti pollution. Try to be at least polluting as you can, you know, right, b- while being cost efficient. If that would be like anti pollution, you know, let's pollute less, let's create cleaner places. Like I'm,
2: <laughs> I would be way much more for it. Right. And, and that's the thing. We're talking about climate and climate is, uh, you know, unfixable. I mean, nature, we can fix nature very easy. very. It's not complex. I, I think the problem is in the demonization of, of oil is, is one of the problems as well, because I think, you know, to raise people out of poverty, the only thing you need is a reliable, cheap energy on demand. And that's what we had with oil, right? you should manage oil well, you know, you should not drink oil. That could be a problem. You know, you should not throw tons of oil in the ocean, but every child knows that, right? So I think this is the, the most thing. When we manage oil well, it's cheap, reliable, and gives a lot of people the possibility to, to come out of poverty. And when you then look at, okay, okay, we will have we will face a problem with climate change like al gore is saying well let's let's look at the numbers uh, but people Earth...
1: by the way with the oil will say yeah but it, it 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 exudes so much co2 it pollutes the environment so what the hell is maren saying here like oil it's one of the most outdated stuff ever we should all be on electric cars etc because it's much more clean
2: well no oil can be cleaner as well i think i read a study is when we make machinery 16 16 eh? 1, 16% more efficient, then we should we should be in that loop of you know polluting and giving back, and it will be uh, absorbed by nature. And and on the other hand, you know, do we have rights to pollute as humans? I I think we have. You know, does a reindeer has a rights to pollute? Yes, he can poo wherever he wants. I mean, no problem because this life is pollutant. So when we constantly talk about we should net zero net zero means you're dead you know you're not alive anymore because otherwise you're polluting but this is the way of life that that we should we shouldn't be blaming ourselves and you you know having that sin upon us that we are doing stuff which is pollutant.
1: And they're also talking about limited resources, polluting within a planet. But I know I don't know if you know the work from Bjorn Lomborg, who did like yeah. an analysis of all the things that you could best spend money. in. and I think climate change was not even in the top ten. That no, doesn't mean 16. like not. Yeah. yeah, that's not even like invest in healthcare, and invest in education, etc. You have to be cost efficient and think like okay, what will have the best benefit for humans, nature, the planet, not excluding like the planet. But we have like limited, it's the same thing with COVID that I don't understand. People act like we have unlimited resources. I'm thinking of everything we're focusing on right now with something that has such a small mortality rate and we invest so much money into it. Can you imagine if we have that budget and think, shouldn't we better invested in prevention, in healthcare, in connection, in people finding their potential in connecting? Like think widely, we have this amount of money in terms of making the world a better place, more healthy, more thriving. More connected. How can we spend it the best? That question is never asked.
2: No, no, no because it's a, a logic. It makes sense because you know who's making the priority list is the, the United Nations, right? And that's the political organ. That is, that's the power. And they decided that climate change is priority number one. But who's the United Nations? You know, and so be, what what Lombard did was very very clever to make that list and i think he's right you just focus on poverty when when people are feeling health healthy and and strong and they can survive on their own local thing they will be taking care of the environment much better you know th- th- because you gave them responsibility and by by doing it the other way around, so from from top down. Yeah,
1: you don't care about way. the climate when you have to survive, you know, daily, and you just have barely enough money to eat. You're not gonna think about, you know, like, okay, is this carbon neutral or not?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't make sense, you know. Give a give a person in Africa a solar panel, and and you know, he doesn't know what to do with it, you know. And it's like like the development work in in back in the, in the sixties, seventies. We 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 send it all are all tractors to, to to Zaire or the Congo and you know they were happy with it and they could work on the land until the diesel was gone you know mm. and they just needed to fill the tank but they couldn't because they didn't know and then the tractors were standing there for 20 years rusting away I mean this is the same problem we have that that is all coming from top down and we should give people responsibility and push people to the limit of thinking. Because that makes people innovative. That makes them creative. And I saw a good example from, oh, well, well. the other thing is that, you know, the fair policy, what, what I was very much against is, you know, that we all die from climate. And then when you when you look at the statistics, you know, the, the climate rate related deaths dropped down with a rate of 99% in the past 80 years. And it's amazing. There's eight, uh, 99% less climate-related deaths than eight years back. And how is that possible? Because we simply climate-proofed our civilization, our society, with the use of fossil fuels, actually, to building bricks, to build be- better houses. You know, we had better agriculture. We- so we make ourselves more resistance to climate change. And I think this is the way to go, that we we should be responsible, you know, dealing with nature. But not with climate. Climate is much, much, much too big. It's like you know, playing paying the sins off in a church. The church is very big, you know.
1: What do you think is the underlying agenda of this? I know Ripke Zellmaker, the Dutch people will will know him. He says, like, that is the way for the rich to tax. Their policies because right. they're going to have a co2 tax that you have to pay everything that you do and if you step outside of it you have to pay a lot of taxes so something has to fund the sustainable development goals and one of the key aspects in it is this whole climate change thing this whole co2 neutral aspect that that is the way why united nations you mentioned what is the reason why they push climate change so much and why is it such an important domino into maybe uh, global elite or people in power mm-hmm. to have that in place
2: because it's, it's the best tool you can have to to regulate and control people. I think that's the whole. That, that's the whole. Deal. In the nineties, the there came an agenda which was called the Agenda Twenty One, which is a very interesting thing to to read. And that is also everything is about finding a tool to get grip on the mass, the hum, you know humans, the the, the seven billion. And this is a very difficult thing, as as, as we spoke about it uh, a couple of minutes back, that controlling people is like saying, you know, we want to have your freedom. Unless they are in fear, then you can control them. And you should...
1: Or, I think in terms of the Sustainable Development Goals, you put it under the guise of something that sounds nice. So one thing is fear. Another thing like, yeah, I want to tackle poverty. I want to tackle gender equality. People can look up the Agenda 21. So one thing is fear. But another part of these goals is also like, oh, that sounds an awesome goal. Like, yeah, definitely want to contribute to that.
2: Yeah, but that's the problem of making people apathetic, you know, that they don't think anymore. That's why, you know, there is a crisis. We're at the crisis management. You You should not be allowed to think about it. We are the crisis manager. So shut up. Do your work and that's where people are putting it right now so they don't ask anything anymore because poverty you know everybody is i think every human being i met is against poverty you know <laughs> and and those who said oh i'm against poverty well congratulations you know well done you know or, or i'm against whatever these are so sloppy terms And they're used because the people, people don't think more and further than, you know, these small words. I'm, I'm against racism, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, you know. And so, but I think the bigger agenda is, you know, compare it with, with a farmer holding cows. I mean, this is such a good metaphor because a, a cow, started in in a a meadow, a piece of grass, and he's just eating and he's giving milk to his kids, you know, and then the farmer thought, hey, well, the milk coming from that cow. Wow. I want to drink. And then wife will drink, the family will drink, the village will drink. Wow, I got 10 cows. This is going to be complex. I need to have a fence, right? Oh, wow. A fence? Are you controlling and regulating the cows? Yes, because that's efficient because that's the plan to get the milk out of it, right? So make the cows as efficient as possible to to be ordered to do what I need to be doing. And this is not a plan. This is not conspiracy. This is just logic system thinking in management. And then then it's going further because the farmer has so much to do on his land to keep his land healthy, you know? So he thinks, I don't have time anymore. Hey, there are lasers where automatically... Going to the cows and searching for the milk, and and the farmer, you know, lost his job and he's sitting behind a laptop, right? So this is the ultimate efficient form of management from a cow, which is not a bad idea. But don't say that that cow is still a cow, you know. He's 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 de cowed, <laughs> and that's that management is exactly the management we're on top of of. Mass management. Like- this is
1: a good analogy that you make because you call it decaled. I call it transhuman.
2: Yeah, dehumanizing.
1: That is dehumanizing people to become transhuman. But in the process of transhuman, you're plugging into the system and you abdicate your personal responsibility and any right to self-sufficiency because on a higher level, what I see right now with climate change, the taking care of the food supply, taking care of the financial supply, mm-hmm. taking care of all the things that could help people take personal responsibility and self-sufficiency, yeah. And then you're like, you know, decal, human you know, transhuman, and you're just one little vector, one little number in a whole mechanic yes. structure of the whole process without any individuality, without any community feeling. It's all being outsourced to a gigantic mechanic, globalist, centralized structure who will take over that part of the human supply in all these aspects yeah. and just takes it over for you.
2: Absolutely. That's the most efficient way to. You know, to get grip on, on that world population. And, and that cow is, you know, it doesn't have the soul of, it, it's still the shape of a cow, as we are still having the shape of a human. But you can ask yourself, in what extent are we still human? Do we have the soul of a human? Because we are belong, if you wanna, you wanna believe it or not, but we belong to nature, right? You see that the detachment the, the from nature, humans and nature, we. And with climate change, you can do it. You can achieve it very, very easily because the government could mandate that I'm not allowed anymore to grow my own tomatoes because that's very inefficient and you're using too much water in your private garden. So you're not allowed anymore to, to grow your own tomatoes. You should buy them by Bayern or the Monsanto. This is where it's going to, right?
1: This and- is also the analogy, it's a cash cow. It is for most people, cow. because what do you see? Are you going to tell me Jeff Bezos suddenly is a philanthropist and now he's going to you know focus on climate change? Are you going to tell me Bill Gates' new book about climate change that he's suddenly like a philanthropist? He could have done with that money in poverty, healthcare, et cetera, oh. but it's a cash cow right now. You know the future is going to more green, so there's a lot of money to be made there when you invest in it, when you create a public opinion that you need it. You basically protect your long-term growth of your company.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Bill Gage in the area that he was the, the IBM chief, he made a lot of money of all the viruses came into his systems because he developed the software to attach them. Right? But This
1: is, again, the mechanic for you, right? You have a guy who created an operating system and worked with numbers in a mechanic view. And I see a person who's now trying to hack the operating system of people, which is their consciousness and their body. Right. Right. And that he uses that same like, hmm, what if I could hack one of the numbers and create an operating system? What if I could hack the DNA and then impact that operating system?
2: Yeah, then you have persons without a soul and they are the best persons to manage. Absolutely. And to give you an, another example, because when, when we talk about climate change, right? The first thing I need to, I, I think about okay agriculture, right? Because somehow we are damaging a lot. It's mm-hmm. not it's not the most worst factor in climate change if you believe in it, but I think we could do better in agriculture because you know in the early '60s, uh, '70s we started with the month's hold ideology. We need to grow crops as fast as possible because there was hunger. You know there was reasons for it. So we used pesticide, chemicals to make that production more efficient, which was a very good idea because it was very successful. But then we become addicted to chemicals, addicted to, to, to pesticide. And the government, you know, tried to regulate it, but it kept, they kept it, you know. But the idea was to, okay, we need to, you know, reach that level of enough food and then we should go back to agriculture again, but we never did because Monsanto Bayern, the big multinational came in the field and grabbed that monopoly of, of that narrative. And then it's very efficient to say there is still a problem. We need chemicals. We need pesticides, you know. And nowadays, when you look at the agriculture, look at the fields in, in where I'm living in the east of Germany, they're all dehydrated, you know, it's, it's it's not desertification, but it's the first step to desertification. What's happening here? Because the, all the monocultures, the, the the soil is dying, and even then, the government is trying to regulate and keep on grip on the farmers. You don't have responsibility. You should do what what we told you to do, and then you you're keeping a a debt system. You try to you know rehabilitate a debt system. It's like like. You know, throwing a a bit of food to a dead horse. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You know, it's not starting to live again. And when you think completely the opposite, like, well, let's give farmers responsibility. Uh, When 60% over of the world arable land is degraded, that means it's not taking carbon anymore. It's not absorbing carbon. It can, it can save carbon. You know, this is what we need to have that carbon cycle intact because uh, what i think is is a is a problem when you say to a farmer okay we want to have healthy land again 60% of the land can breathe carbon again well it, it's huge and how how are we going to do it it's very simple it's say to the farmer we will measure your your land your soil every month and the, the more healthier your soil is the less tax you pay And I can promise you, within two years, we don't have any problem anymore because the the farmer is a businessman, he's very innovative, creative, and he wants to be, do the best for his farm. It reminds
1: me of the doctor in some, I don't know if it's a legend or not, who gets paid for keeping his patients healthy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The the, the, the less the patients come to him, the more he gets paid.
2: Right. And, you know, so the, the solutions are so simple, but we... Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, Franz Timmermans, we have in in Europe, they're talking about geoengineering, you know? well,
1: that's the thing that I have, like we have Monsanto, genetic modified organisms. It has all to look the same and fulfill certain criteria. So it artificially, superficially looks nice. I kind of see the same mechanic view now, genetically modified humans. They have to be this, have this certificate, look like this, act like this. So it's just like conformity, all the same.
2: That's the agenda. And then that's the most efficient way to manage it, uh, a group of population or sheep's, or, or cows or whatever. And COVID and climate change, and I think COVID was the activator. But climate change is the fundament of, of the agenda. COVID is, you know, there might be a, a virus, you know, not so big, but there might be. But it's being used by the power to fill that fear again. And this is global. You know, it's not about Germany alone or in Holland. No, this is global. So we have to respond. But it's like communism, Marxism. We have the responsibility for, it's like, and the same in climate change, the same narrative, right? We should fix the climate. No, it's it's like our grandmother fathers screwed up the planet. We need to fix it. In the responsibility for children and grandchildren well you are kept in between depths you know and sins and every ask uh, every question you you ask is immoral it's the same with, with COVID, right it's not about your health no it's about the other one you know so you're feeling very sinful when you don't when you're not vaccinated <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a good analogy that you make because, you know, also like you're white male. I'm at the sin of being white. I have the sin of being a male. I have a sin of being Western. And, you know, at what point do, do it gets absolved? No, I have to carry this burden of being human, kind of like being guilty of just being born, like this kind of worldview, this anti-human worldview, while at the same time, this trans-human worldview
2: yeah.
1: uh, is increasingly being pushed. And sometimes we talked about it just before the podcast and also finding interesting to look at the small level and the bigger picture, I used to be a full vegan for a year and a half. I'm 80% vegan right now. But people don't look at the bigger picture. So why is Bill Gates the biggest land over there? And why is he pushing like veganism? Because again, here, when you push veganism, you take away the self-efficiency of the farmers. You produce artificial meat in these big... For no. Factories, big centralized globalist companies, and then they can take more control of the food supply, even a good goal, like more clean water, less meat, because I do think we eat too much uh, red meat, especially it 's not good for the arteries, but again, it's being abused while in the bigger picture, we see oh yeah, that's the way how these big factories, bill Gates, Monsanto gets more and more control of the food supply
2: absolutely, and you know don't don't get me wrong, I think there are there, there are some good reasons to grow your food in a in a closed unit. For example, Curaçao is dependent on the food supply on Venezuela. When Venezuela is, is politically unstable, it shuts its border, Curaçao will, will die. So putting out containers there with closed units to grow their own s- s- salad or whatever, you know, it's not a bad thing, right? Or Israel to to make kosher food, right? It's it's quite kosher in, in these closed units. Well, it's fine, you know, but But not in this global narrative where Bill Gates and and, and people like that are pushing that narrative to farmers are unhealthy, pollutants, and this is the only way. No meat. It's a very bad narrative you can be because it's ripping out the diversity. It's ripping out humans, actually. And I don't believe that we can recreate nature. I mean, we are very smart. Science is very, very smart, and i'm I'm admiring uh, science, and I believe in it as well. But there are so many things in nature we don't understand yet yet. Uh, because nature is magic magic. And the magic is also the responsibility for every living thing in nature with do his thing. And they don't need to think about it. You know, that's that's the good part. A good organic society does not think of which way we should go. A good organic society is going the way it should go. You know, nobody thinks about it, right? And now the moment you regulate it, you're forcing a direction and you're ripping out all the creativity, all the the soul out of a movement. You know, the the big bands, I, I was with a punk band for, years in the Netherlands uh, called the Heide and they only Yeah, I bought that album
1: that yellow oh, right. cover it was not a yellow cover I think yeah, yeah it was yeah. one of the yeah
2: yeah yeah I toured with the guys and made the documentaries for touring and stuff and and you know I I loved it but you know I came from another world like rage against machine urban dance court these kind of guys and so punk was completely not done but I started to love it you know, right and and these guys only can play three chords that, that's it. But there is a magic, you know? There is a magic. You, you you cannot recreate that band with no one. But it's a kind of a magic, which is not a controlled plan. And you don't know what, what is it. So this is the same as the society. And society is never a good society. It's just a society which is there. And the most interesting thing, I think, is that you should be put them in order. Like, you know, you have a climate, you have a certain climate and upon that climate, you find your agriculture because that's, you know, you should find your agriculture based on the climate, what you can grow or not. And the name agriculture is saying it above agriculture, you create your culture. All cultures in the world are related to, you know, how people working on the land. And Based upon that agriculture, based upon that culture, you can create your personal identity. This is this should be the the order. And what you see right now is that the fundamentals of that order are, you know, pushed out of the society. And what you see is a lot of burnouts, a lot of you know, crazy things are happening in society with people. People don't know who am I anymore because the identity is gone. It's, it's completely gone. People don't have that connection with nature, with the, with the, the fundamentals, the pillars of your existence. And I read a study of burnouts. 99% of the, stu- of the burnouts are not coming due to too much work. It, it, it's bullshit. It's, it's coming because you need to be a person for a long period of time, which you are not. So you, you're acting. You're actually acting, acting an identity, you're acting a person. Oh, I'm a wife, I'm a man, I'm a, I'm what kind well, of an this animal? is
1: This is fascinating what you say right now, because this is also what I reflect about. Listen, we've been worshiping enlightenment, progress, science, innovation, etc. But what we're seeing is that the speed of life, the chances, it becomes overwhelming already, and people are more dissatisfied, more discontent, more disconnected, anxious, yeah. depressed. So I just want to ask the question, do you want even more of this? And if the answer is no, maybe we should connect more to nature or human nature and find some way how to rescue things that we've lost or just as you paused and reflected and asked some important questions. Life is going so fast. It's so hard to keep up that I feel it's going to be increasingly complex. Like, you know, like in five years, so many things change. But do we necessarily have to always go in that direction or not? And maybe there will be a battle between people who, go back to human nature, to nature, self-sufficiency, and more simplistic, more minimalism. And then other people who admire that transhumanist scientific mechanic model who say, like, I want to become more human. How how do you see it?
2: Yeah, I think the parallel society, how they describe it these days, and I think it was always here, a parallel society. But we're living in a time where we have a a sort of awakening, where it's becoming very clear. Nowadays, you can see the constructs of that parallel society, you know? You can see, even though when you meet people on the street and, we, and they greet you like that, you know, <laughs> yeah, they, right they, yeah. they have fear to hug you or to yeah. give you a hand. You know exactly, oh, you're, you're yeah. from that world, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, I, I respect it. That's no no issue, right? But the, the, the parallel society is becoming clearer and clearer. And I think that there will be a division, yeah, but... Not necessarily wrong. I hope we still have the chance to choose, but I think we should we should feel much. There is a book, Schumacher was his name, an Austrian, small is beautiful, mm. something like that. Yeah, and it's such a such a penetrating book because even though you might think that the problems these days are too complex to understand. It's not complex. There's a problem. You need to solve it. That's the deal. you know. And the solution is so simple to not be in fear, taking the risks of life and go back to yourself because I think your own world, your own Garden of Eden, whether you're living in Berlin or having a farm I think this is the most important thing to get structured. Be the man or woman you want to be. Take care of your own little world, your kid, your wife. When you're alone, take care of yourself. This is such an accomplishment, such a task to do it because, and when you're happy, when you're strong, your fundamentals are exactly you know the fundamentals you need. Then you can look further, you know, and maybe you inspire your neighbor. This is the thing. I came from the development work, you know, international development. And and we all talk about ending poverty. Well, you know, good luck. Uh, This is too big. It's not ending poverty. Let people smile. That would be a much better slogan. You know, I'm not ending poverty. I'm just going to the Congo, the, the, the middle of Congo and learn three old ladies to read and write. That's what I want to do. You know, and and then you're more successful and then you're not being in grip of that narrative of, yeah, these three people uh, are smiling, but I I need to rescue the whole world because it's impossible. And when everybody looks very small and just rescue rescue your own little life. I know so many people were saving the world. And when you look at them, the first thing you, you think it's fun? Well, you should first save yourself. You're yeah. a complete mess. You know, you don't, you don't even know who you are, and and you want to save the world. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of it. You know, so I think this is the most important thing to keep it so small and find people who think the same. And we should not fight Corona. We should not fight poverty or or climate change. We should be responsible shepherds of the world in in close contact with nature and i find it by myself you know the experience i have with being a filmmaker and a gardener uh, and a, and a, you know doing a lot of forestry as well it's so great to have a certain balance and to sort of be between
1: did you also world. have your garden between order and chaos like you try to take care of your garden but not so much that it's
2: completely artificial Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, because nature is leading. It's not my greed. It's it's nature which is leading, and that's you know we have too much land, so <laughs> it's <laughs> quite obvious that it's quite easy for me to follow that rule. But um, it is. It's go- not like a Japanese garden where you're like going with scissors all the time to. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. But it's it's very interesting to you know there is a certain uh, order and chaos which is comp comp. Can become complex when you humanize the nature too much. And with humanizing, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I have strawberries, you know, and the birds are picking strawberries. This is a problem, right? I can do a net. I can, you know, uh, make a net so that the birds will not attack my strawberries. But, you know, I think once a year a bird will fly into it and will die because, you know, mm. get strangled. Well, then you're attacking nature, mm-hmm. but protecting your strawberry. Well, that's for humans a conflict. But when you're when you are in, in, in nature and living with nature, you can make that balance. Okay, this is this is one bird one year. That's okay, you know. So you need to make that balance. And when you know when when the, my strawberries are killing three hundred birds a year. Well, you know, then you make a change, but it's all about the balance and 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 the way you know I I can't pollute. I can, you know, do some things in order to achieve something. And therefore, you need to pollute or need to be a bit less human. But this is a balance, and we need to understand that balance. And the only way to understand is is look into nature. How is nature functioning? That's exactly how we should functioning. When I'm looking at the forest. Underneath the forest, the soil, there's a fungi system. And that fungi system is feeding every tree, regulating every tree as well, giving, and not because it's colored, but because it's being stimulated by a certain climate where certain trees can live. And that fungi system is regulating every single tree. And these trees are such a good example of how politics should function because a forest does not think in left right you know it's just thinking we need to move to the top as, as soon as possible with each other and they do because the oak will when the, the oak is close to a, a, a another tree. you know the oak will be as, as thin as the other tree. you know and it's 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 it, it there's always progression Even though we don't touch it, you know, it's not chemicals used, no chemicals used, no pesticide. We can regulate with chemicals, but then it's becoming politics. So the politics these days are the chemicals and pesticides of our democracy, right? Because they want to over-regulate it. And and, And the forest is chaos. You don't understand the forest, but it's working, you know?
1: So Do you think we should control, try to control nature
2: less? yeah we should yeah we should be more in dialogue with nature not not that you need to hug a tree or something, but we need to understand what's happening in the soil above the soil, and we don't even know what's happening one meter under the soil. you know a lot of scientists the science is not so as I said, the science is brilliant, but not as far as we should be. Right. In, now, now from
1: everything that you know about climate change and tackling pollution, I also would love for you to just maybe end with something that is the opposite side. Is there something that would have like a massive impact if you'd have to choose something to work against pollution or treating the planet better? Is it stopping cutting the trees in the Amazon forest? Is it building more trees? Is it stopping the plastic pollution? Is it the overfishing in the seas? Just to help you advocate, also because I think you're curious enough to also see the other side. What is something that should be tackled? Is it building forests, the, the fishes, the plastic? What do you feel ha- would have some of the biggest impact in terms of treating the planet better?
2: I th- I think we are energy addicted. It's it's a major problem because I see a lot of wind parks being built. Europe's gre- greatest wind parks just to feed the clouds from Google, something like that. You know we're killing the forest. To keep the clouds alive, <laughs> and this is this is energy ad- addiction. So I think we should we should try to become happy with with a bit less minimalistic. Yeah, not that we should go back to the forest anymore. I mean, the, the, that's nonsense. Of course, we can live a very luxurious life with a bit bit less. Think about these things. And then I think there will be a change because when you really think about how much energy do I need? Imagine a day without energy, you will probably die. I think 90% of the population will die. Think about it. You don't have wifi. You don't have internet. You cannot call your parents. You cannot go to the shop, even though the electric store will stay close. Everywhere you are, the planes will be crashing because there's no system to navigate. Think about how addictive we, we have become on energy. And then think about that little African guy under the banana tree who's having nothing, but, but is so happy in some, some extent. Why do you see African people dancing, laughing, singing like hell, man, with a lot of emotions and see your own life? You know, for me, it's so clear that we can live under a banana tree and be happy, but you need to accept it. That way of thinking should be much more penetrated in our human soul because it's 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 leaving us. We we are addictive to. We want to fly to the to Mars, you know, to start a new civilization, even though we're not even ready here. We make a mess out of here, and then we we start to think about going to Mars. I think, man. Just fix the problems here, and then we we can think, you know.
1: I, I read a book about it in a book that I have about parables about a businessman who was coming to a fisher who was fishing at night, you know, and he steps to the fisherman and he says like, hey, why are you fishing at night? You know, like everybody fishes during the day and they can have a lot more fish and the fisherman says like yeah but I'm content and I'm happy here I'm living my life and it's like why are you not doing during the day you could have a lot more fish and it's like for what so you can have a lot more money for what so you can build a lot of factories so what so I can have a house for what so you can live happy and content and enjoy the moment and the fisherman is like yes that's that's already what I'm doing yeah.
2: now. wasn't I was an African try to explain our system in Europe because every African is, 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 is admiring. Europe, you know, it, it is the paradise and heaven. And I was explaining him, tried to explain him, and then I got stuck in my own exp- explanation because I thought this is crazy what I'm doing. And he was sitting literally under under a banana tree tree with a you know on a, on his a piece of land where he had some crops. He lived in a loam clay hut, very poor, very poor. But it was a smile on his face and you, you probably know uh, how he. And, and I tried to explain, well, you know, Europe is not that, that kind of a paradise, you know, because when I think about it, the only thing I need is to buy some potatoes or to have some potatoes, but I can't have it. I need to buy them. Uh, so I need to go to the shop and to go to the shop, I need to live a little bit close to the shop. So, so I need a house and. I need an insurance, a credit, and I need a car because I need to drive the kids to school. And, you know, and then your explanation is going mad because you need to have a whole system of complex, stupid things you need to do just, just alone for, to buy that potato. And that African guy was laughing at me. I said, oh, no problem. You want to have potato? And he walked to his potato field, (laughs) grabbed a potato, and said, "No problem," you know. And I don't say I'm not romanticizing, you know, a poor man, but he was happy, and I was complex, and I'm confused, don't know who I am, you know, don't know where I'm striving for. And that African has has that pure kind of nature. The only thing, the most important thing, is to strive for food to raise my children. That's it. I think you know.
1: Yeah, it's also, it's, everything that's going on is also a value and a spiritual thing Absolutely. that helps people investigate the fundamental things in their life. It, it reminds me of a story that I heard from Alan Watts, but a guy who was on a taxi and he was in front of like, let's say the Ritz Hotel.
0: Hmm. And
1: he says like, take me to the Ritz Hotel. And then the guy says like, yeah, but if I were you, I wouldn't start from here because it's the journey to the place where you already are.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we are lost. We're lost and like like a, a, a Buddhism saying, that the luck what is it luck is not knowing what luck is. Something like that. So we are we are on our way and we don't know what is the way actually. Yeah. It's so we're in a plane and 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 we we not even asked ourselves is there a pilot? Where are we going to? You know. So
1: I think for the people who really want to use the crisis of everything, right, I think with those powerful questions to ask this fundamental story that guides their life, the meaning, and are willing to go deeper than the, than the surface, this can become really a meaningful period and a really fulfilling period. Oh, yeah. Uncomfortable, but very meaningful and fulfilling because you yeah. can spend the rest of your life living
2: more on your terms. And you feel it. There is a morphogenetic field energy going on in the world that, you know, there are oppositions in Japan. Belgium, Holland, Germany, you know, people are waking up and people are finally seeing this, you know, the world was always brutal. Power Mm -hmm. always abused the normal people like us. You know, we were always the slave of the system, but we never asked questions. We're nowadays living in a time where a lot of people are waking up and seeing the structure of that brutal society we lived in for so long, but never saw it. So, this is great. So, the world is not becoming mad, right? It was always like that, but we are awake. And that's a very positive thing because from there on, that's a spiritual thing, you know? And a spiritual thing is not, spiritual energy is not talking about money or. You know, capital, It's talking about the inner inner self of humans. What What do we want? So-
1: <laughs> this is the thing. I, it's just synchronicity because I read the parable like also yesterday about the Hindu gods. Like you know, gods were becoming too powerful. Men men were becoming too powerful because they were like gods in the past. So they, so they wanted <laughs> to hide the thing that made them powerful. So it says like, hey, how about we put it in the mountains? No, 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 because they can climb the mountains and find it. How How about we put it deep in the ground? No, no, they will drill and find it. You know, and in the end, they say like let's put it inside themselves because that will probably be the last place that they look for it. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. It's absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So now we can be, uh, maybe we can be thankful that we're living in this era, I guess. I mean, for me as, as a documentary maker, I think it's the most brilliant time to live in. For well, people
1: who want, who want to find out more about and are looking for you and your wisdom where can they check out more about the uh, the documentaries and the the work that you do
2: I'm very free so I'm on, on YouTube for free and marinepools.com they can find every 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 film in the last 5 years and I just went to Sweden last week to do another starting new story which is a very very thought provoking story as well of course it's going on freedom of energy uh, wind it's a it's, it's a very very interesting story and it's, it's a it's an international uh, story as well so and it will be translated in English German and Dutch and Swedish of course so uh, pool that come and they can find everything yeah since
1: you're a good storyteller what is an amazing maybe micro maybe a small story that you've Witnessed about the power of humans, or the beauty, or the inventiveness of humans that you saw before your eyes while traveling.
2: You want to, you want to hear a positive story, I guess, right? It can also be a
1: negative story. Ah, It was a thought-provoking story that helps people. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. I, I contact the director of the Chicago University because a lot of Nobel Prize winners are coming from Chicago University. Was it a coincidence or not? So I checked it out, and you know what he said was uh, very striving is that okay when someone in society wherever in the world he is shouts out publicly 1 plus 1 is 7 uh, sometimes 8 or maybe 9 you know there are two ways to react on that and the first the first reaction should be you are stupid you know get lost disappear and the second one he said and that's what i'm doing is wow that's interesting you know i give you a stage and you can give the explanation why you say it's eight, nine, or ten? And the value of that is, it's not about what he's saying at the end; it's about the road he's going to reach his goal. And when you understand that, there is a logic explanation why he's saying seven, eight, or nine. Maybe it's even the truth. And that learns people to think free and think, you know, not so in a, in a narrative where we are in today. I thought, yeah, that's, that's the most, you know, because people are saying a lot of time, you're climate and I dot, you know, well, or you're a flat earther. It's even mm-hmm. more interesting. And I love to speak with these people because not, not to believe in flat earth. That's I got them on really my
1: podcast, like a couple of episodes before this, it, it's called a conversation with a flat earther. It's exactly As you say. Sometimes it's the people who you don't agree with who help you the most with thinking for yourself and find your original truth. So even be thankful for those people. That's why I love free speech and open debate so much because Absolutely. that way you can think for
2: yourself and speak your own truth. Absolutely. Yeah. And we are in a power position to have internet, to have our platforms like you do, like a lot of other people doing. So there is a lot of good stuff rising from platforms who are asking these questions to not in order to convince, but to understand, and I think that's the, the the biggest lesson you can have in 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 your human existence that we're living with a lot of people and enjoy it. And diversity is a bless and it's not a danger, right?
1: Well, thanks for being a guest on my podcast, and also being a curiosity seeker and standing for your principles, helping people think differently despite opposition. Wish you all the best with your future filming and projects, creating your Garden of Eden, and thanks for being a guest on this podcast.
2: It was nice. Thank you.
0: If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now more than ever is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth and making an impact. Find out more at ClientCloser.com slash Academy. Rant over.